This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Sue Edinger, who's a board-certified veterinary specialist in cancer. She's often known as Dr. Sue Cancer Vet. So we'll be talking about the top five cancers in dogs and cats. You don't want to miss out. We'll be right back after these messages. As a dog owner and veterinarian, I spoil my own dog, Milo. Not only does he get to sleep on my bed, but he gets his pick of treats whenever we go to the pet store. I want to take great care of him as he pays it back tenfold in loyalty and affection. I want to keep him as happy and healthy as possible. That's why I like to give him a dental treat that offers more. Daily Dose is a two-in-one dual benefit dog chew that supports dental hygiene and full body health. With Daily Dose, your dog gets a daily dental scrub and powerful supplements to help with the biggest health concerns facing our dogs. Daily Dose was developed by veterinarians to be simple to use and super effective. Plus, dogs love the taste. It comes in four types, available for joint, skin, heart health, or calming. What I like about them, they have ingredients that I'd recommend as a veterinarian, and they're made in the USA. To help keep your dog happier and healthier, try Daily Dose, because one chew a day may keep your veterinarian away. Visit yourpetsdailydose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code ERVET. That's E-R-V-E-T. It's more than a treat. It's a treatment. One chew a day for happier, healthier dog ears. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to speak with Dr. Sue, also known as Cancer Vet. And Dr. Sue and I actually went to Cornell together. So, Dr. Sue, thank you so much for being on today's show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about a really hard topic, but we know that cancer is one of the top killers of dogs and cats. But before we get into cancer and finding out more about that in dogs and cats, you mind just giving us a little bit of background about where you trained, what you do, and how you're different from a typical veterinarian. Well, as you mentioned, we went to Cornell together. After I graduated from Cornell, I did an internship in, we say, general medicine and surgery, so just sort of an overview. And then I did a residency in medical oncology. So I am one of 450 boarded medical oncologist. So I'm a cancer specialist. So all I do day in and day out is treat dogs and cats with cancer. And like I said, there's very few of us in the country, which can make it really hard, you know, when your pet is diagnosed with cancer to seek out a specialist. But on my website, I'm always providing links. I have a YouTube channel as well, because I want to provide lots of information. So if your pet is diagnosed with cancer, you can seek out information and then hopefully see a specialist like myself close to you. 
And, you know, it's a hard topic. Nobody wants to talk about cancer, but our goal of Pet Life Radio ER Vet is to help educate dog and cat owners so they know what signs to look for. Because I always say the sooner you notice a problem, the sooner you can get to a veterinarian, the sooner we can diagnose it, and the better for your pet and the less expensive for you as a pet owner. So I wanted to start by talking about the top five most common cancers in dogs versus cats. Yeah, and I think that's so important what you're saying. So early detection is so important. And as I always say, early detection can save lives. And as you pointed out, save money because, and people are often scared. They think that going to see a specialist will cost them money, but actually we can save money because we know which tests you often need and which tests we can often say, you know, that one's going to be a little less important. So let's focus on these tests and these treatment options. And, you know, I always work within the family's budget to really pick the right tests and the right treatment options that's going to work for them. But to go back to your question, so the top five cancers that we see in dogs are by and far lymphoma, which is, um, you know, similar to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in people, bone cancer or osteosarcoma, which tends to be a cancer in large and giant breed dogs, hemangiosarcoma, which I think you unfortunately have some personal experience with. Am I correct with that with your own dog? I will say hemangio is probably the number one cancer I see at the ER vet because it causes internal bleeding. My own personal dog ended up having a super rare one. I was so paranoid he was going to get hemangiosarcoma. Okay, I'm sorry. For some reason I had... Yeah. No, he he had a presumptive glioblastoma brain tumor. Okay. So hemangiosarcoma, which is the one of the spleen. Yes. And maybe that was the connection I had because you do a lot of ER work. That, you know, and that is often one that dogs end up in the emergency clinic with that bleeding, you know, bleeding into the abdomen, the hemoabdomen. So we see hemangiosarcoma, bone cancer, lymphoma, mast cell tumors, which is a skin cancer. And that is one where, you know, we can circle back and talk about how owners can be super proactive and definitely find early with, you know, monthly lump and bump exams. And so early detection is something that, you know, owners can be super involved with finding. And then the other one is probably oral cancer and oral melanoma. I think that's one of the other top ones. And I I would be remiss to exclude mammary cancer or breast cancer in dogs, which, you know, 75% of those are cured with surgery. So again, one of these cancers that if we detect early, and again, our owners can be involved with doing a lump and bump exam, which is a breast exam. Many owners are surprised to find out that dogs have 10 breasts, you know, they have 10 mammary glands that they should be feeling. It's not just where we think about where our breasts are, but they go all the way down towards the back legs. But again, we can get our owners involved in, you know, they're on the front lines with their pets. They're petting their dogs all the time. And so they can really help us veterinary professionals find a lot of these, you know, lumps and bumps early, bring them into us, and then we can find these cancers early. And the other thing I think that's super important to point out is cancer is not a death sentence. And there are many cancers, especially these skin cancers, which include, I'm going to throw breast cancer in there because it's a lump and bump cancer and mast cell tumors, one of the ones that I talked about. Many of these cancers, soft tissue sarcomas, can be cured with surgery alone if we find them when they're small. And we'll help find them when they're small if the owners are helping us feel their dogs on a regular basis. Thank you. So again, ones that dog owners need to be aware of lymphoma, bone cancer, osteosarcoma, 
hemangiosarcoma. sarcoma. We had one episode dedicated just to that one on ER bet, mast cell tumor, oral melanoma, and mammary gland or breast cancer. What about in cats? So in cats, lymphoma is also very common, one of the most common cancers that we see. The hard part with lymphoma in cats is, you know, in dogs, it infiltrates or fills up the lymph nodes or lymph glands. And I'm pointing to my like underneath my neck, even though you can't see me on the radio, right on podcast. But in cats, the most common place that we're going to have lymphoma is in the abdominal organs in the gastrointestinal tract and the lymph nodes in the abdomen. So owners aren't going to feel it. But the, and the symptoms are the, you know, as we say, in the veterinary profession, the clinical signs are, are pretty abstract, they're vomiting, diarrhea, weight loss, and changes in appetite. So those are things that owners are not going to be very specific and go, oh, my cat has lymphoma. And my own cat lost a lot of weight when it had inflammatory bowel disease in front of my own eyes. My husband's a veterinarian. So weight loss is really hard to figure out. So when you talk about what are the things that we as pet owners can do to help detect cancer early, I think one of the most important things, and I think you'll agree, is go to your vet on a regular basis, right, for those routine exams. And as our pets start to hit middle age, many pet owners are surprised that we advocate twice a year exams because every six months is pretty, you know, our pets are aging more rapidly than we are. So I really advocate that middle-aged and older dogs and cats are getting to the veterinarian for routine exams, which includes checking the weight, you know, twice a year. So I think that's going to be really helpful for lymphoma is just is weight loss, you know, is that because that is one of the symptoms. Cats are so hard to be able to diagnose cancer in for the pet owner. And one of my cats had chronic kidney disease. And as a result, I weighed both my cats on my human scale once a month. And I recorded it in my Google calendar, just so I could make sure that my cat wasn't losing weight. And my totally healthy cat, this cat had always been 11.9 pounds. And all of a sudden, one month, um, she had lost about 0.3 pounds. And she all of a sudden ended up having internal bleeding from a really horrible cancer, pancreatic adenocarcinoma. And she already had cancer metastasis to her lungs. So for her, it was so end stage. And the only sign I noticed was weighing her and that tiny amount of weight loss. And she had a really, really rare type of cancer. But again, the more we can help pick up on these things, the sooner we can find out what's going on, the sooner we notice those clinical signs, again, the better the prognosis. All right. So back to cats. We talked about lymphoma. What are some other, like the other top four types of cancers that you might see? So we see a different oral tumor, a different mouth tumor in cats than we see in dogs. So in dogs, I mentioned that we see something called malignant melanoma. In cats, we see something that we call squames or squamous cell carcinoma. They comprise about 75% of mouth tumors in cats. And this is another reason that going to your vet is so important for dogs and cats, because not many of us can, you know, open up our pet's mouth and really look around. And so, you know, part of routine healthcare is going to be dental exams. And I have to tell you that so many of these mouth tumors in dogs and cats are going to be picked up on good dental when they're getting their mouth clean. So squamous cell carcinoma is going to be one of the top cancers in cats. Another one, just as in dogs, is breast cancer, mammary tumors. Unlike dogs, mammary cancer in cats has a much higher malignancy rate. So in dogs, 50% are benign and 50% are malignant. 
In cats, 80 to 90% are malignant. So again, going back to that once a month lump and bump exam, you really wanna be feeling your cats for these lumps and bumps for the breast cancer. And then the other top cancer in cats that we're gonna see are connective tissue cancers. So skin cancers, soft tissue sarcomas, which the most common one is gonna be fibrosarcomas. My own cat was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma and that one was so hard to diagnose. So what are some tips that owners can do when it comes to looking in their cat's mouth? Yeah, so, you know, we have to be careful, right? Because we don't want any of our pet owners to get bit. And not every cat is going to be amenable to, and dogs as well, to, you know, opening up their mouth. And so I think when you have a kitten and a puppy, if you can get them comfortable with that, you know, we have a young Labrador. And so I'm always, when she was young, I got her used to that, but it's not going to be something we're going to have every pet owner get comfortable. But so if you can't open up your pet's mouth, again, going into your veterinarian and hopefully they can do that oral exam. But, you know, you want to make sure that your cat is comfortable eating. You want to look for any blood in the facial area. So sometimes owners will notice that there's blood in the food bowl, blood in the water bowl. That could be a sign that there's something in the mouth that's causing bleeding. It may not be a, a mouth tumor. It could just be an infected tooth, but that would be you know, a sign that you would wanna bring your cat to the veterinarian also facial asymmetry. So when you look at your pet, is the face not completely normal on both sides? Is there a bulging or something like that? That could be a sign as well that there's a, you know, a, a tumor in the mouth. And I don't want any dog or cat owners out there to feel guilty if you miss something. I will say Absolutely my, not. Yeah, my own previous dog, I was bathing one, one day randomly, and this was the dog that had the brain tumor, JP, and I was bathing him and I looked in his mouth and there was actually about a half an inch um, size mass in his mouth. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally beat myself up as a vet. It was called an epuli, which can be pretty aggressive. And he needed part of his jaw removed. Same thing with my own cat that was diagnosed with squamous cell. It was just horrible, bad breath and drooling, which is atypical for cats. And by the time I diagnosed it, and the dentist helped me diagnose it. Unfortunately, I only got five weeks with my cat with squamous cell. So please don't feel guilty as a pet owner. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't miss anything. And the hard thing is dogs and cats don't show their signs until it's really severe or really advanced. So Dr. Sue, I know you have a campaign called See Something, Do Something. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of background about what that is and what it means? I will, but I also just want to emphasize what you said. So Justine, our own cat, who was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, he lost about three pounds, Jeter. And it was my mother-in-law who noticed his weight loss when she came into town one year for Thanksgiving. And I'm married to a veterinarian. So she came in and she was like, Jeter looks really thin, you know, because you live with your cat all the time and they're fluffy. And it's really hard to notice weight loss. And it just gave me that that same sort of perspective, like, you know, not to be that judgy vet was like, why didn't these owners notice that their pet's losing weight? Because I was one of those owners who missed it as well. So, you know, I think it's it's hard. And that's where, again, we just need to get our vets involved and, and make sure we're bringing them in on a regular basis. We're all human. And again, we don't want to be too hard on ourselves and just, you know, use these experiences to move forward and just try to be better in the future. So 
I just want to emphasize that. But my see something, do something, why wait, aspirate program is a program. So I, I feel like I've learned from a lot of my mistakes as a veterinarian, but this is a program to advocate early cancer detection of lumps and bumps in dogs and cats. And the mistake was one of my technician dogs, Smokey, this beautiful white pity, had had many benign lumps and bumps that were those benign fatty lipomas. And we had aspirated them and he had another mass and we got a little bit complacent and assumed that it was going to be another lipoma. And when she finally brought him in and we did an aspirate, it turned out to be a sarcoma, one of those connective tissue cancers. And I beat myself up over it and Amanda beat herself up over it. Well, the surgeon removed it and we ended up getting margins, but it required a really big surgery that had some pretty serious complications in healing. And I decided that we, the veterinary community, needed something better in guidelines because there really isn't good guidelines. So the point of the program is if you see a mass when it's small, we need to do something. And that do something is to bring the pet to your veterinarian and do an aspirate because I can't look at a mass and you can't look at a mass and know what it is. So we want to do an aspirate, which is a simple awake procedure where we stick a needle into the mass, collect some cells and have it looked at it under the microscope and know if it's benign or malignant in most cases. So that's the point of the program. And the size that we really want to be the trigger to do something, if the mass is the size of a pea and been there a month, that is when we're recommending that pets, dogs and cats go to their veterinarian and get that simple test. So if the mass is the size of a pea, which is one centimeter, which is half the size of a penny, and been there a month, that's when I would really like pets to go to the veterinarian. Well, thank you so much. Now, do you mind just talking about dog breeds? What dog breeds are the most susceptible to cancer? And are purebreds more prone to cancer than mixed breeds? Yeah, so, and I have a pure breed. So, you know, I say this with with love, you know, so I have Labradors. And, you know, I think a lot of us love certain breeds for their their wonderful characteristics. But, you know, there are certain breeds that we see certain cancers with higher rates. Golden Retrievers, which are just such wonderful breeds, right? They tend to have a lot of cancer and it's often because of the inbreeding and then there are genetic mutations which get carried over, you know, within the line. So that is a, a breed that we tend to see many cancers. German Shepherds, we see certain cancers. Labradors, you know, my breed, we see certain cancers. And then there are certain breeds that we see very specific cancers. For example, bladder cancer, transitional cell carcinoma, there's very high incidences in Scotties and Westies and Beagles and Australian Shepherds. So even though they may not be high risk in lymphoma, we can see certain other very individual cancers, they may have high risk. So if you like certain breeds, what I would say is do your homework and find out what not only cancers, you know, some King Cavaliers can have heart disease. So if you're really interested in a certain breed, I think it's really important to do your homework about it just so you go in with that awareness. But it doesn't mean they're automatically going to get that cancer or that certain condition. With that said, I treat many mixed breed dogs with cancer as well. So getting a mixed breed dog isn't a guarantee that they're not going to get cancer because there's, you know, cancer is multifactorial. There are many things that unfortunately contribute to cancer. It's not just one thing. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. 
Do you want a cat litter that absorbs odor-causing wetness like a parched desert cactus? Well, Arm & Hammer's got a litter for you. New Absorb X with Desert Dry Minerals. Wetness disappears like a Texas raindrop on a hot tin roof. Odor, adios. It's a lightweight, lightning-fast, odor-absorbing desert dry cat litter. Get $4 off now at armandhammer.com slash bounty. New Absorb X from Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Are you listening to this right now with a cell phone clenched between your teeth as you frantically flip pages on your paper calendars? Or are you a new breed of groomer, bred for speed and efficiency of movement? 123Pet software automates your communications, doing the reminding, confirming, thanking, and marketing for you. 123Pet centralizes your schedule, employees, clients, inventory, and more. 123Pet is the business management software you need. Start minding your business today. Visit 123PetSoftware.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We're talking with Dr. Sue Cancer Vet about cancer. And again, really hard topic to hear about, but so far we learned that some of the top cancers in dogs include lymphoma, osteosarcoma, hemangiosarcoma, mast cell tumor, and even oral melanoma, while in cats it's often lymphoma, an aggressive oral mouth cancer called squamous cell carcinoma, mammary gland tumor, and connective tissue cancers. We've also talked about how, yes, sometimes purebred dogs are more at risk. Now, one controversial question I wanted to ask you about, is there some recent literature in the past few years that says if you spay or neuter a golden retriever before X amount of age, that they have a higher risk of cancer? I wanted to get your opinion as an expert oncologist in veterinary medicine, how does this apply in golden retrievers versus other breeds? Or what are you advising people when it comes to cancer in relation to like spay and neuter or other quote chemicals around the house? Are there any things that we can do to help prevent cancer? It's a great question. And I think it's not a one size fits all answer. And I think we're continuing learning. And it's not just golden retrievers that we have learned that there may be a protective benefit by leaving them intact for a little bit longer. And what that time period is, is still unknown. And so, you know, estrogen, progesterone, the female sex hormones and testosterone, it looks like potentially in some breeds, and whether it's more large breeds than smaller breeds, we're still learning, but it looks like those sex hormones could have a protective benefit in some cancers. And you're bringing up, there was a large study of almost 800 dogs that came out over five years ago out of Davis that looked at that, but there's been some other studies there was one in Rottweilers in osteosarcoma where if they were left intact for over a year, they had a lower incidence in osteosarcoma. There's been studies in Weimaraners where it decreased the incidence. And then there are some other random studies where they looked at specific cancers like hemangiosarcoma and dogs that were intact had a lower incidence. So there is a suggestion that there could be a protective benefit. But we also know that pet overpopulation is a, you know, an issue and that 
mammary cancer, we decrease the incidence by early spay of breast cancer. So that's a lot of information, right? So what do I recommend? For my first dog, she was spayed younger. It was right as this first information was coming out. So Matilda, my black Labrador, was spayed at six months. For Penelope, who is now three, I decided for her, taking all this information, I can just tell you what I did, Justine. I decided to do her spay at two years of age. I decided to let her be exposed to her sex hormones. Maybe there would be a protective benefit. I realized she may be at a higher risk for mammary cancer, but I can palpate, I can feel, you know, her monthly for lumps and bumps in her breast area. And 75% of breast cancer will be cured with surgery alone because half is benign and half of is malignant and half of that's cured with surgery. So I think, you know, that's where I'm standing at this point. I think we need to continue to keep our minds open, read the literature and see where it's coming out. But I do think there is a protective benefit, but I think we're still a work in progress and we're learning all of that information. I also think diet plays a role. I don't think certain diets are bad or commercial diets are bad or vaccines are bad or things like that. But I think we're continuously learning that fresh fruits and vegetables can be healthy, you know, that there are certain things in our diet that can help us. So I think we're just learning a lot about how to help our pets, just as we're learning about how to help protect cancer and people. Great information. It's so hard because it's multifactorial. And I totally agree with you. It's a component of genetics. It's a component of environment. It's a component of nutrition. It's a component of preventative care and early observation. So when in doubt, please talk to your veterinarian about this. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you is when to make an appointment with a veterinary oncologist. And what I mean by that is I will often diagnose cancer in the ER vet situation and owners are like, oh, no, I don't want to do chemotherapy because they have erroneous opinion of chemotherapy in maybe a human family member. And I always say, you know, you should at least talk to a veterinary oncologist because you guys are the experts in the area. I don't know the spiels, what I call the spiels or like the numbers to quote. And making an appointment with an oncologist doesn't necessarily commit you to doing, you know, a year of chemotherapy. Do you mind just talking through um, the pros and cons of why you think that an appointment would be really essential? It's so funny that you say this. I'm actually, so I have this YouTube channel. I do these vlogs, these video blogs, and this is literally the video that I'm doing right now. Like why to go see a specialist, even though I talk about it all the time. To me, there's no reason not to go see a specialist, especially if there's one in your area. I always say it's an information collecting appointment. You are not under any commitment to give chemotherapy. You know, sometimes when I have a a pet that has arthritis and I want them to go see a surgeon to talk about medical management of arthritis, they go, I don't need to go see a surgeon. I don't need surgery. And I'm like, no, the surgeon's just going to be the best person to help you manage, you know, chronic arthritis. So I think people sometimes just think that, you know, coming to see an oncologist means a commitment to having to go through treatment. And to me, it just is learning all the different options. And for lymphoma, for example, you may do a multi-agent protocol, you may do a less expensive single agent protocol, or you may just do steroids, but you're going to learn all the range of options. And you may do some diagnostics or minimal diagnostics. So to me, it just gives you a full range of options from the expert. If you or I were diagnosed with cancer, we would go talk to a cancer specialist. So to me, there's no disadvantage except for the fact you have to book an appointment and you and your pet have to go there. You know, the hard part is in certain parts of the country, there may be six hours. 
And so that can be hard. I'm now offering teleconsultations, but I still think it's best if you can go, you know, bring you and your pet to the specialist directly. If not, the next best thing, in my opinion, is having your veterinarian do a consultation with a specialist and give that information to you. I think that's the next best thing. And there are so many myths and misconceptions about chemo in pets. And I do, before we wrap up, think it's really important for most people to know that pets handle chemo so much better than people. 80% have no side effects. And I have, you know, videos on my YouTube channel of dogs running on the beach after chemotherapy. They just have a great quality of life the majority of time going through their therapy. So, you know, we don't poison them. They don't suffer. And it's okay that you think that because you, you just haven't been exposed or had to think about that. But just take the time and just, you know, see what, you know, the options are for you and your pet. Wonderful. Such helpful information. Again, when in doubt, if you ever notice any lumps, bumps, weight loss, not eating, drooling, any of these clinical signs, you always want to get to a vet sooner than later. And obviously in the ER, at ER vet, I end up diagnosing a lot of cancer. Um, Sometimes it's really sudden when it shows up. So again, please don't beat yourself up. But again, cancer is one of the top three killers of dogs and cats. So we want to do everything that we can to diagnose it early, to notice those clinical signs, to get to a veterinarian. And please don't be hesitant to make that initial appointment with a veterinary oncologist. If you, for some reason, have any questions, you can always reach out to your veterinarian. I know you can go to the website ACVIM, the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine, and look specifically for a specialist in your area, ideally a specialist in cancer or what we call oncology. And don't be hesitant to make that first appointment because that first appointment, again, it doesn't commit you to doing anything, but you're really talking to the expert in the area. Dr. Sue, thank you so much for fantastic information. Do you mind just leaving us your Facebook or your web website and hashtag so people know where to go for more information. Yeah, thank you so much. So my website is drsuecancervet.com. So D-R-S-U-E, cancervet.com. Really the best way to get so much information if you need anything is going to be my YouTube channel. I have information and, you know, links to all the different things like acvmvetspecialist.com, all that. So my YouTube channel is Dr. Sue Cancer Vet as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. That brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com on Facebook and Instagram at drjustinelee or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time and we want to thank Dr. Sue, Cancer Vet, and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.